Okay, we'll have our Learn by Heart tonight from 6.30 to 7, or a little before that, and then we'll take a break and have our uh, All Saints Day service uh, with communion beginning at 7. Uh, the hymn we're working on is the white insert sheet that uh, is on that bulletin in the middle. Uh, it's the hymn coming up for Sunday. We won't be using it uh, tonight, but it, it is for Sunday. It's for the 22nd Sunday after Trinity. Uh, we've often used it for Ash Wednesday. Uh, you don't always have 22 Sundays uh, to use it, but... Uh, This particular hymn is written by Martin Luther. In fact, it's one of the first ones that uh, he wrote uh, in which he was trying to get a couple others. He wrote to a man, George Spalatin, in 1523 and said, you need to write some German hymns. And he says, it'd be good to base them on the Psalms. And he sent this particular one along that he had written as an example for him to follow. Uh, It's based on Psalm 130. It's one of the seven repentance, or we call them penitential psalms, and so you can see why it's often used in connection with Lent or Good Friday or Ash Wednesday or something like that. Um, The Gospel reading for this coming Sunday is Matthew 18, uh, and it is dealing with Uh, the forgiveness of sins, and how often should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? And Jesus uh, tells him uh, a parable concerning that. Um, Not seven times, but 70 times seven, or that would be all of the time. In the parable, there's a king, and he wishes to settle accounts with his servant. And when he does, the servant is alarmed and upset over his sin, uh, for he is going to uh, be sold, he and his wife and and all. Um, This is the trouble that has come upon us. It's not the king's fault. Uh, The king is using the law so that the man will know his sin and, and confess it, that he might give him the forgiveness. So with Psalm 130, penitential psalm, uh, it was one that uh, was quite uh, popular. Uh, Luther often used it uh, at the Diet of Augsburg, um, as well as it was used for the funeral of Frederick the Wise, the one that uh, provided and took care of him. But All right, so Psalm 130. Psalm 130, I'm reading out of that pew Bible. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, O Lord, hear my Voice, let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. Luther, stanza one. From depths of woe I cry to thee. From depths of woe I cry to thee. Lord, hear me, I implore thee. Lord, hear me, I implore thee. Bend down thy gracious ear to me. Bend down thy gracious ear to me. My prayer, let come before thee. My prayer, let come before thee. Stanza three, if you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? Luther continues, if thou rememberest each misdeed, if each should have its rightful meed, 
Who may abide thy presence. He's pretty well following it uh, uh, right through in kind of a, a paraphrase of sorts. So, what has happened? Well, the law has shown him his sin, is out of the depths. Uh, he cries out knowing that he, he needs help, he needs forgiveness. He uh, is troubled by his sins. He knows that if God does not forgive, nobody can stand before him. Uh, no one can stand in his presence. And so, uh, this is, is his cry. Thy love and grace alone avail. To blot out my transgression. The best and holiest deeds must fail. To break sin's dread oppression. Before thee none can boasting stand. But all must fear thy strict demand. And live alone by mercy. So he begins to talk about the love and grace. Uh, in the hymn, it talks about, but with you there is forgiveness. And so here Luther speaks about the love and grace uh, which alone can blot out his transgression, his sin. It speaks about uh, the uselessness of works righteousness, as it says here, the best and holiest deeds. Even the best and holiest, he says, are not able. They, they fail. You can't boast of those to receive uh, anything at all. Uh, we live, but we only live by God's mercy. Let me read stanza three. Therefore, my hope is in the Lord and not in mine own merit. It rests upon his faithful word to them of contrite spirit. That he is merciful and just. This is my comfort and my trust. His help I wait with patience. So this... Uh, Hope, uh, as it speaks on, rests upon uh, the word. In the hymn, it speaks about, O Israel, put your hope in the Lord. And then it talks about, my soul waits for him. He's waiting. And that's why Luther speaks of the patience. I wait with patience. Uh, The hymn has that uh, familiar one. More than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Uh, I put my hope in his word. And so that uh, Reformation uh, teaching about scripture alone uh, that I I turn to. Stanza 5. And though it tarry till the night and till the morning waken... My heart shall never doubt his might, nor count itself forsaken. Uh, Do thus, O ye of Israel's seed, ye of the Spirit, born indeed, wait for your God's appearing. So it says, though it uh, tarry, though it uh, uh, 
doesn't come uh, as quickly as you would like, um, though it, it rests. Wait for it. It shall come. It'll come even with our Lord's appearing. Uh, speaking of the last day, but as well could be at any time that the Lord comes with his grace and, and gospel. Stanza number five. Repeat after me. Though great our sins and sore our woes, his grace much more aboundeth. His helping love no limit knows. Our utmost need it soundeth. And so, to say that there is no limit, there is no point at which the Lord says, well, seven times you're done, uh, you're out. No, this is the Lord who comes to us with forgiveness. Uh, it knows no end, no limits. Next part, our shepherd, good and true, he is. Our shepherd, good and true, is. Who will at last his Israel free. From all their sin and sorrow. From all their sin and sorrow. Luther pulls in that Psalm 23, the Good Shepherd, and refers to the Good Shepherd as the one who uh, sets us free. Um, and so we have From Depths of Woe, uh, the hymn by Martin Luther based on Psalm 130. Let's go ahead and sing the first. Uh, stanza of it. From depths of woe I cry to Thee, Lord, hear me, I implore Thee. Bend down thy gracious ear to me, my prayer let come before thee. If thou be timorous, each misdeed, if it should have its rightful me. Who may abide thy presence? Put that one aside. Uh, if you have your booklet, we're on the first petition of the Lord's Prayer. It's on page 16, uh, bottom of 15, top of 16. Uh, the first petition. Hallowed be thy name. We're talking about the name of God. What does this mean? Answer. God's name is indeed holy in itself. God's name is indeed holy in itself. But we pray in this petition that it may be holy among us also. All right, so to ask God to hallow his name, to make his name holy, it's not that God's name needs some help. It's we that need the help. We're asking God that his holy name, which it's already that, 
that we might use it, that we might keep it in a right way. If you think about the name of God, the name of God has been uh, given to us as a gift, and he wants us to use it. Um, We might think of someone maybe uh, uh, giving us a phone number so that we have access uh, to the person and so that we might uh, uh, know them. Um, So God has given us his his name, and he has said, okay, um, I am holy all, all by myself. In your use of my name, you can keep my name holy. You can use it in a right way. And so, God gives us his name. One of the ways in which he gives us his name, he gives us his name in holy baptism. He puts his name on us, Where there is the water and the word, we are baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That name is placed on us uh, so that we might know that we receive his blessings, uh, that we receive, that that we belong to him uh, by his name being scratched on us. Uh, maybe like a name being put in the front of a book, and you say, that book belongs to me. So the Lord says, okay, in this baptism, then you belong to me. Well, the name that God has uh, given is is his own name. Um, His own name tells us who he is and what he has done for us. And so the name that he places uh, on us In the the Old Testament, uh, when Moses goes to uh, the burning bush and he's given the name, it is the name Yahweh, or the one who is I am, I am who I am, the existing one, I exist. Uh, If we're talking about the past, I exist. If we're talking about the future, I exist. If we're talking about the present, I exist. I am, a verb of being. And so God says, I'm the God that exists. When we get to the New Testament, the name that is given to him is the name Jesus, uh, which means one who saves. It comes from uh, the Hebrew, which is the word Joshua, which means Yahweh saves. And so we see that it is in Jesus himself that we have salvation, that Jesus is the one, it is through what he has done, that our God, the triune God Yahweh, saves us. We also have the Holy Spirit. And so we know that it is the Spirit that makes us holy. He does that through, through his word. So let's see what Luther does as he explains what it means to keep God's name holy. How is this done? Answer. Luther says, when the word of God is taught, when the word of God is taught in its truth and purity, in its truth and purity, when the word of God is taught in its truth and purity, so the first thing is about the teaching of God's word. God puts his name upon this book, this teaching, and so when we 
take the name of God and we apply it to a teaching or a doctrine, we are keeping his name holy. If we cover up falsehood with his name, we are desecrating or misusing the name of God. When the word of God is taught truly, then his name is holy. It's kept holy. Next part. And we as the children of God... And we, as the children of God, also lead a holy life according to it. Also lead a holy life according to it. And we, as the children of God, also lead a holy life according to it. So not only do we want to make sure that the preaching and the teaching and the doctrine that has God's name upon it is right and true, we want to make sure that we who have received his name in holy baptism, that we might lead a godly life, that we might speak rightly of it, that we might love our neighbor, that we might do uh, as children of God are, are supposed to do. Those are the ways in which God's name is kept holy. Next part. This grant us, dear Father in heaven. This grant us, dear Father in heaven. But he that teaches and lives otherwise, then God's word teaches, profanes the name of God among us. From this preserve us, Heavenly Father. So, we ask God in this petition to help us to do this and to keep us from misusing it. There it is. Back of your green sheet. Let's take a look at the uh, reading that's coming up for Trinity 22. It's Matthew 18. Uh, the reading actually begins with 23. I've gone ahead and included with 21 uh, forward. Matthew 18, beginning at verse 21. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain man who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. 
and he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you also have, should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. This is God's word. So I included that first section where uh, Peter asks, uh, he's evidently been listening to Jesus' words and realizes that the forgiveness of sins is of great importance um, and thinks that he has probably gone above and beyond by offering to forgive seven times. Uh, you know, one is, is fine, three seems a little bit much, kind of, uh, uh, but seven, well, that would be like every day of all one week. And Jesus well, knows that he's on the right track, but he's not yet there. And says it has to be 70 times 7. Um, it's not trying to give a particular number, but one that is so far beyond that that you would understand that, no, there is no limit. There needs to be uh, uh, forgiveness at all times. So Jesus tells a story. It's got two parts. He begins with the kingdom of heaven is like. So what do we know he's talking about? Church. He's talking about the church. He's talking about the church here on earth. And so what does he say? A king calls his servant in. He wants to settle up with him. Hmm. How does that happen in the church? That God wants to settle up with someone. The penalty for sin is death. Well, I guess you could say, I guess God would want to be settling up at death. Um, But that sure doesn't. There seems to be some stuff went on. So obviously this must be before death. But, But we know this man, when the king wants to settle, when God wants to settle up with someone, he finds out that what? What does he find out about his sin? It's great. What? It's a lot. It's great. It's, 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 it's 10,000 talents. Normally you would say a talent you know, is like a, a, a day's wage or, or something like that. But I mean, even at 10,000, you know, it might as well be $10 million. Uh, um, when do we find out that our sin is great. When do we find out that the wages of sin is death? When you listen to the word. It comes in the word, in particular, one part of the word. The law. The law. 
whenever God preaches the law, he's showing us our sin. We think our sin is pretty small. It's just the little stuff. It's not that big. But when the law hits us, we realize. And so this is the way God works in his church. From time to time, he brings his law to bear upon us and wishes to settle up so that we might, by means of the preaching of his law, learn of our sins and learn how great it is and learn, as this man, well, you know, you're going to have to be sold, you and everything you have. And, And what's the man's response? He is worried. He is upset. The law has has caused him great distress out of, what, depths of woe, he cries out. Um, hmm. Patience, I'll pay you all. Just have mercy. Uh, he falls down before him. It says that the master has compassion. It says that he forgives him his debt. When does that happen in the church? Absolute communion. Communion. Communion it does. Now remember, it's a baptism it does, an absolution it does. It does in the preaching of the gospel. Uh, um, when God's gospel goes out, we hear the good news of the forgiveness that, that God is not going to hold us for our sins. Wow! Um, this is the way it works in God's church. And we see this and we go, yeah, that's the way it works. And uh, uh, this forgiveness, this is the way God does it. Does he just do it once, twice, seven times? Nope. Again and again. Uh, 70 times 7, not more than, than that. Uh, we could stop with that parable right there, and it would be right and good. But Jesus goes on and gives us the second part. And the second part is this servant who was forgiven, then has his own servant who owes him 10 bucks, opposed to 10 million. And what does he do? He's going to settle up. What does he do? He must bring the law to bear. And the man is worried. Depths of woe. So what does the servant? He does not forgive him. He chokes him. It says even the other servants are upset. The other Christian members when they realize this man who has been forgiven is not forgiving his fellow brother, and the rest are worried about this as well, and they bring the man in. And we find that the master says to him, you know, you're going to lose your forgiveness because you would not forgive others. Um, We see that it shows that this man um, does not exhibit that would be the fruits of faith. Um, this forgiveness that we are asked to, out of thankfulness, to show to our neighbor when we realize our great sin, that we might forgive others their sins. Sometimes God points back to what he has done in his great forgiveness and says to us, because of what I have done, you ought to be loving and forgiving of others. Sometimes he points to the end and says, if you don't forgive... 
here is what you will receive. But in either way, he is trying to teach us about our life in the church uh, and how we ought to be forgiving, or as our Lord's Prayer says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us.